Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, January 3rd. Did you know the New York Times is suing the makers of ChatGPT, accusing them of allowing its AI robots to plagiarize from the Times? Did you know Michael Cohen, the former Trump attorney, now says he inadvertently filed false statements in a legal case because the falsehoods were generated by AI and he didn't catch them at first? I didn't know lawyers use robots to write official legal things. And Europe has jumped ahead of the United States with a new set of rules for how AI can and cannot be used. So we'll talk about those in what I think will be a very interesting AI catch-up now, made by me and at least one other human, Kat Zakreski, who covers AI policy and other tech-related policy for The Washington Post. Kat, thanks for coming on with us. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Can we start briefly with a lawsuit by the New York Times against OpenAI, makers of ChatGPT? The suit alleges, quote, mass copyright infringement, unquote, because the system is designed to, quote, exploit and in many cases retain large portions of the copyrighted expression contained in those works. And it refers to, quote, unlawful copying and use of the Times uniquely valuable works. So is this suit the first of its kind in the AI or ChatGPT era, as far as you know? And do you understand the legal basis for the suit? So this suit joins a growing group of artists, authors, musicians, filmmakers who want credit and compensation from these companies that are using their work to train these AI systems. So although this is the first time we've seen a news organization like the Times sue OpenAI, we have seen big writers like George R.R. R. Martin and Jody Picoult and others um, also bring lawsuits against the company. And it speaks to, you know, this growing question that the courts are going to face this year over what ownership do creators have over their work in this age of ChatGPT and other generative AI tools. Do you know who was generating what kinds of materials using AI as a tool that wound up copying from the Times in a way they claim is a copyright infringement? So, you know, one of the things that the Times showed in their lawsuit were that there were instances where ChatGPT was prompted and then effectively spit out New York York Times articles word for word. And so the Times argues that this is a violation of copyright law. Um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of defense we see OpenAI come back with. In general, OpenAI has been trying to partner and form deals with publishers. We've Mm -hmm. seen them reach that with some other news organizations. And it seems that those talks with the Times fell apart and the Times took this step. Um, And so, um, you know, legal experts um, say that, you know, there's a high bar to prove that um, there's this infringement occurring. And I think there will be a lot of scrutiny of what prompts have to be entered into ChatGPT in order to, you know, have it regurgitate articles in this way. But it's certainly an issue that's coming to the fore as more and more media organizations are looking to incorporate these products into their news gathering. Yeah. Or, gee, your college application essay looks like a lot like a Maureen Dowd column I once read. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, the Michael Cohen case. 
Here's reporting from NPR last week. It says Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's one-time personal lawyer and fixer, says he unwittingly passed along to his attorney bogus artificial intelligence-generated legal case citations he got online before they were submitted to a judge. Cohen made the admission in a court filing on sealed Friday in Manhattan Federal Court after a judge earlier this month asked a lawyer to explain how court rulings that do not exist were cited in a motion submitted on court on Cohen's behalf. So if we give Cohen the benefit of the doubt of telling the truth here, if we assume that this was inadvertent, do you have a take on how AI makes up non-existent legal cases to include in a legal filing? So this is, you know, one of the things that we see come up again and again with these generative AI systems. Um, they are able to spit out this kind of human-like text that makes them appear very advanced. But really what they're doing is just scraping data from across the Internet and then making predictions about what the most next, most likely next word would be. And that can result in the systems hallucinating at times. Um, you know, I've played around with ChatGPT a little bit and asked it about about my own biography. And at times it has come back saying that I've won Pulitzer Prizes and have a degree from Harvard University. And um, unfortunately, none of that is true. <laughs> and so um, we've seen how, you know, these systems can often just make things up. And so as, you know, people are using them more and more in legal cases, in their work, we're going to see more mistakes like this come up. And, you know, Michael Cohen isn't the first lawyer who's been caught up in this. Um, in uh, Manhattan court last year, there was a situation where two lawyers were fined $5,000 in another case because they used ChatGPT and it also created bogus case citations. So um, as more and more law firms are looking at this technology, they might want to think twice before before they uh, replace their attorneys or paralegals with a generative AI yeah. system due to this problem. Funny you just used the word hallucinate to refer to AI making mistakes uh, that came up on the show last week when we were talking about the various dictionaries and their words of the year for 2023. And one of them was hallucinate because it's uh, contemporary use is not just about, you know, what happens if you take LSD or something. It's about AI. This is a, a common term now referring to AI mistakes. People use the word hallucinate, right? Exactly. And, you know, I think it's something we're going to have to really watch in 2024. Um, I was at a hearing recently on Capitol Hill where lawmakers were talking about ChatGPT hallucinating when you were asking questions about how to vote, even making up polling locations that don't exist. And so oh. it's um, cases like this are just an important reminder of the limitations of this technology, even amid all of the hype it's getting. Just before we leave the Michael Cohen story, do lawyers who obviously need to be very precise in their language use AI for certain things routinely or increasingly now? Increasingly, we are seeing this happen. And it's really interesting because ChatGPT can be an incredibly powerful analytical tool. Um, you know, Michael Cohen talked about using BARD, a ChatGPT competitor created by Google, as sort of a supercharged search engine um, and, you know, not really understanding um, that it could uh, have these types of hallucinations, he said. And um, so we, we are seeing, you know, lawyers and, and a lot of professions increasingly experimenting with these tools to analyze large volumes of data, to write 
uh, technical documents. And, and so you see how that could have a lot of value in the field of law. But uh, obviously, there are major problems, too. Nick in Corning, New York, wants to talk about the word hallucinate as it pertains to AI. Hi, Nick. Hey, Brian. I wanted to just highlight that that comment that you guys had about the hallucinations term because I was listening to uh, the podcast The Daily, um, and they had um, something from Sam Altman actually on there, and it sounded like AI is benefiting GPT from this kind of... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so it sounds like AI is kind of benefiting from this hallucination uh, phenomenon because... On one hand, yes, you know, if you're irresponsible and you just take it at, at face value without checking your source, I mean, you're, you're, no, you're not doing anyone a service. But if you're allowing it to hallucinate, the same mechanism that, that it's using there is allowing creativity and, and helping it formulate uh, an answer that might otherwise not have, you know, been come to by the user. So uh, I think that, you know, when you say you want to leverage it for equality, um, I, I'm really excited about those prospects as well as just, you know, having it be available to everyone. Um, and so if, you know, you're teaching or you're, you're presenting and, and helping people understand how to write a prompt and how to interact with AI um, in, a, in a ubiquitous but useful way, that's really, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that that's where you're working from. Nick, thank you very much. Um, all right. So let's talk about Europe's new rules of the road for AI passed last month. You reported in the Washington Post, Kat, that they were out to classify risk, enforce transparency, and financially penalize companies for noncompliance. Can you start to explain the term classify risk from artificial intelligence? So the way the EU is thinking about regulating artificial intelligence is almost like a sliding scale where there are different requirements for the companies based on how risky regulators think an application is. So, for instance, if you look at something like the social scoring system in China, where you're ingesting tons of data about people's practices and that impacts their ability to gain credit and participate in society generally, that's something that Europe looked at and says, you know what, that's just far too risky. We want to ban all systems like that. They also, you know, ban things like AI-powered toys that might encourage children to do risky things. And then they look at other systems where they can say, hey, you know, there might be some really positive use cases for this, but we need to have special transparency measures around it. So that's where the EU created greater regulation when you're using the AI for things like making decisions about hiring or um, when law enforcement is using AI to monitor, you know, potential crimes or even to, uh, you know, just we were talking about the Michael Cohen case and they created specific requirements when you're using AI in the application of the law and in the legal system. Yeah. And two of the examples that you gave in your article uh, of AI's highest risk uses were self-driving cars and medical equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. Are they banning self-driving cars in Europe under these new rules? Because we keep hearing that this future is coming for trucking in the United States and other things. um, Don't. They are not outright banning it. Um, And that's kind of the line that the EU is trying to walk here between making sure that they don't squash technologies that 
could be really beneficial to society, like a self-driving car or like an advanced medical device. But there are special product safety requirements those AI-powered systems would have to comply with. And you wrote that um, France, Germany, and Italy had sought late-stage changes in the negotiations to water these AI rules of the road down before they got passed last month for all of Europe, uh, for the EU anyway. In what ways were those three countries trying to water down this new set of rules and why? So one of the areas that became most controversial were the requirements that the EU was trying to put on so-called foundation models. And these are the AI systems that underlie the chatbots that we've been talking about, like ChatGPT. And there was real concern among these company, uh, among these countries, particularly France, which has some big AI companies uh, itself within its borders, that if you were to adopt stringent requirements on these models, models, you could have a system where Europe is really falling behind the United States and China when it comes to developing new technologies. And so they were able to reach a deal that included some major exceptions, um, particularly what's called open source um, systems were exempted from some of the transparency requirements that other generative AI systems like ChatGPT have to use. And that was seen as a compromise that would allow, you know, these companies, particularly in France and Germany, to continue to flourish and grow without having to, um, you know, abide by some of the stricter requirements that we've seen, um, like reporting any major cybersecurity incidents to the European Commission and having um, special evaluations of the models before they're released to the public. Um, the U.S. has more than 400, I'm sorry, the EU, as you remind us in the article, has more than 400 million people. That's more than the United States, which has about 330 million. Do the rules there have implications for the use of AI here? They likely will. The United States, first of all, is still in the early stages of developing its own AI legislation, and it's likely that we'll see ideas from the European regulation kind of be make its way into the debate here and potentially be copied in any legislation that is considered in the U.S. Congress. And then the other way we've seen this play out, um, Europe has moved faster than the U.S. when it comes to regulating digital privacy, other issues around social media, competition. And sometimes we see these companies just decide it's too difficult to have different ways of operating in different regimes in every country. And so if the EU is moving first and, you know, setting a certain standard for privacy or setting a certain standard for social media, you sometimes see the companies adopt those practices globally. And, you know, a lot of experts say that this could happen once again with artificial intelligence. Here are um, some of the um scary implications of AI, at least potentially being brought up by some listeners who are writing us text messages. Uh, we talked about the medical equipment. Listener writes, AI has generated false medical information. Very scary. Another one writes, haven't heard much about cultural implications of chat GPT pushing us toward a monoculture. Uh, another one on, on the word hallucinate um, says, please stop calling it hallucinate. It's BS. AI has learned how 
and then that text is cut off. But that that text, Kat, seems to be saying that AI has learned how to fool us. Uh, the things that are false are purposely false. I think maybe our earlier caller was saying, don't worry about the hallucinations or the false things that AI comes up with because it's part of its learning process on the way to creative contributions. Though maybe I misunderstood that. Um, but then this um, notion of generating false medical information, listener says, very scary. Do you know if that's happened? You know, I have not personally reported on instances where that's happened, but I know that's a major concern. Um, I think the companies have taken steps, um, you know, with systems like ChatGPT to try to avoid that since we know that medical misinformation was such an issue for tech companies during the pandemic. But um, certainly you see how it could happen, right, when you're using things like Reddit or other unvetted sources to create the data that are training these systems, if you put incorrect medical information into the system, it's very possible that it will spit it out. And so I think that is uh, a major challenge in an area where there could be some key implications. And there we will leave it for today on various developments in the world of AI and AI regulation with Kat Zakreski, who covers AI policy and other tech-related policy for the Washington Post. Obviously, a lot more to come this year on that in 2024. Kat, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.